Hey guys, how's it going? My name is Joseph Fordham and this is NPLH In Conversation With, the football podcast that isn't about football, brought to you by NPLH Studio. NPLH is more than a podcast. Once you've hit the follow button, visit nplhmag.com to enjoy online reads, subscribe to our newsletter and browse our collection of magazines, prints and apparel. On to the show. Hi, I'm Charlotte Jukes and welcome to MPLH In Conversation With, the podcast where we sit with influential and interesting people committed to enacting positive change within the beautiful game. Now, this particular episode was an absolute joy to work on, as it must have marked about a year since I first saw Karen Dobre speaking all about equality in women's sports. I left that panel event wanting to instigate change in the women's game. And it was certainly one of the catalysts that led me to become a referee, as well as a committee member at the Super 5 League in Hackney. And because of people like Karen, I was able to do so. Now, in the episode, we do get off to a slightly alarming start when Karen tells us... This is a really strange place for me to find myself because growing up, I never liked football. However, she quickly brings it back and the episode is packed with incredible quotes and wisdom and knowledge from Karen, such as Gender diversity in a team or on a board makes that board function much better in the marketplace and that team function much better economically, never mind morally. Anyway, without further ado, I am delighted to introduce you to Karen Dobre, elected director at Lewis FC for the No Place Like Home podcast. Hello, Karen. Thank you very much for taking the time to speak to us today. I'm just going to go straight in with the first question of where did your footballing journey first start? Well, the present footballing destination that I'm at is um, I'm a director at Lewis Football Club and I'm one of 12 directors there. So I'm a co-director elected. And this is a really strange place for me to find myself because growing up, I never liked football. My dad wasn't into football. I didn't have brothers that might have been into football but my cousins, some of them were male and they were, I remember them all supporting Liverpool actually. And uh, I remember, you know, bacon sandwiches on my auntie's living room floor where I had to watch Liverpool when I was young and it was so boring. I found nothing that would engage me in that. Went to a men's match when I was about 15 because my cousin played for Brentford. I didn't think it was a place for me, football. I thought it was a men's game. So unsurprisingly, I I never watched it. I'm heterosexual. I've often had boyfriends that have been into it. Um, And my husband is a super football fan and has always been. You know, even on the night when I went into labour with my first child, he was at Southend watching Southend play football. And um, I just want to say that for the record, because that doesn't often get said. So I went with my neighbour to the hospital. Obviously, that's in my Hurt Museum. It's staying there. Uh, I show people around sometimes. So, yeah, yeah, I didn't like football. So it's really weird that I'm a football club director. And I guess it all started when Lewis FC, I live in Lewis. I've lived in Lewis now for nearly 14 years. I heard that they were going to pay their women's team the same as the men back in July 2017. 
I knew that they had a men's team. I was already an owner of the football club. And that is strange in itself. But the fact is that Lewis FC became community owned in 2010. I loved the idea of a community owned football club. And, um, and you just pay £40 and you get a share and one vote as to who goes on to the board of directors. So um, I bought myself a share. And my husband was one of the people that turned it into a community-owned phenomenon. So I was well aware of what was happening, but I just never went to a football match. Didn't think it was for me, but I liked the, I liked the structure and the model of the community ownership. When I heard that they were going to pay the women the same as the men, I thought, A, what, you mean they've got a women's team there? And B, what, they don't get paid the same as the men? That is how little I knew about football. <laughs> I know a lot more now. So I went to a women's match and I absolutely loved it. So I've got a daughter and a son and my daughter was about, she was about 17, 18. I knew her and all of her friends and they'd come round my kitchen table and we'd have a good chat and they were all lovely and really intelligent people and we'd have great chats. Then I'd follow them on Instagram and they were like different people posing in nightclub toilets and all that. And um, I just thought... Why can't they be themselves? Why do they still have to conform to these ridiculous stereotypes when they're in a public place? Like, what's that about? You know, I know that's not them. I can't, I couldn't figure it out. I thought feminism had gone back, you know, backwards. Anyway, when I went to watch a women's football match, I saw these young women who were, you know, around that age, the same sort of age as my daughter and her friends, a bit, bit, bit older, some of them. And they were, they were turning stereotypes on their head by playing football on a football pitch and I got such a kick out of it I loved the fact that they were young women who didn't care about posing around and what they looked like but they were in it to win it then I liked the fact that anyone was welcome I, I went on my own and I was there and I was just chatting to people and it was it was really kind of relaxed um, and entertaining and then I I, when I walked home, I just thought, this is, this is a phenomenon that I never knew about. How, why didn't I know? Why have I never been included in this? It's so different to a men's football match. The atmosphere, the game, what it means in itself as a thing that's going on, like it's a, a totally goes against gender stereotypes, whereas men's, of course, does feed into the existing gender stereotypes. I just thought, oh my God, this... There's something here that, that everyone needs to know about. And because I, I like telling people about things, Charlotte, as you can tell from my very long answer to your very good question, um, I, I volunteered to tell women about what Lewis Football Club were doing in the hope that they would come along and feel something of what I'd felt and, and support this amazing initiative, Equality FC, uh, which was the name of the campaign by which uh, Lewis introduced equal pay and um, that they would add to the crowd figure, which is very, very, it's a very, very important part of, of this whole thing. And I'm sure we'll, we'll get to it later. So I volunteered for a bit and I uh, told all these women and being, I, I look, literally looked up women's groups locally and went to tell them. <laughs> then I got more and more sort of gigs, as it were. I, I never even knew I could public speak, right? But I just was on a mission and I just thought this, People have to support this. This has so much potential. And we have the ability here to change the world through women's football, not just at Lewis, but generally over the world through women's football. I sincerely believe that. And that's why I'm in it. So I went to tell them all this stuff. 
and uh, they started to come. Our gate figure quadrupled over two seasons. Both first teams got promoted. That kind of speaks for itself. I'm not saying that was just what I did. That was also the whole, you know, all the publicity. We got national and international headlines everywhere and all sorts of things happened. I got, I started to be, become a football pundit on the radio. Who knew that that would ever happen in my lifetime? It was just crazy. And so that's how I got involved. And in the end, I was doing so much because I feel like we've got a window here. And I just decided to devote a lot of time to it that I put myself up for election as a director because I also thought it was would be good to have more women on the board. And typically when you think of a board, it looks a very specific way. Um, it usually looks very male and similar demographic male as well. How did it feel when you put yourself forward for election? Did you ever feel like this is something that was going to be difficult? How did you go about sort of pitching yourself? You have to basically write an election address. Um, I can't remember what the word limit is, but we're coming up to our elections in October, actually. So, you know, people are up for re-election, people are standing down, other people can stand. So if this podcast goes out before the middle of October, please do think about becoming an owner. And if you aren't pale, male and stale, I would really, really, <laughs> I would really recommend that you try and get yourself on our board because we really do need more represent diverse representation. But um, I wrote an election address, said what I'd been doing and put myself up for election. I felt nervous. Um, you know, I, I'm okay about putting myself up for judgment, but what scares me is that I don't know very much about football especially compared to all the people that have grown up with it. So I feel like imposter syndrome sort of rears its ugly head twice over with me because I don't know a lot about football. I'm a bit of an outsider. I can't pass, you know, as a, as a football fan. And, um, and I'm not one of the lads. Like, you know, I've discussed this with a lot of the female football fans before. Some of them have kind of grown up as sort of one of the lads so that because they know so much about football or they play football they're allowed into the bar with the guys and they kind of have bands and all that I'm not that girl I'd love to be but I'm not also I'm a woman and football is very male dominated as, as you know <laughs> and um, so there's two reasons why I, I you know I could easily feel like an imposter but then those very reasons that I am an imposter are the reasons that I should so stay and so be myself and so take up space and have a voice because it means that other women like me will see me or hear me and know that it's something they can do. Because as we know through Black Lives Matter and through so many, so many social campaigns like hashtag me too, hashtag times up, if we don't see women, black people, gay people, trans people in positions of power then we we think that we don't belong there so it's really really important that that i get over myself and stop having imposter syndrome because i'm as entitled as anyone else and if i don't think i am then the next person won't think they are so i can shut up 100 and it feels like when you then go out into the community and speak to women's groups young women as well you are a direct representative and a visible role model for them of someone who necessarily hasn't grown up with sport or, you know, directly playing football. And that doesn't mean that they can't then be involved in the infrastructure. And I think, as you said, you know, having that visibility and having someone that you can look at and say, I identify with you and I want to be a part of it. 
did you ever feel when you were speaking to sort of women's groups in the community uh, that, that there was any pushback do you think that people weren't so sure if they wanted to come along to the dripping pan um or did you find that they were generally pretty supportive there was sometimes a little bit of pushback uh people had decided because quite often at the beginning of a talk i say is anyone here a fan of football and these are usually exclusively women and uh there'd be out of a room of say about 50 three or four would put their hand up and i'd say okay has anyone here been to a football match i'd say about 20 would put their hand up they've been to a football match anyone been to a women's football match usually nobody and um anyone own a football club and usually no one puts their hand up unless they own lewis right <laughs> which is usually isn't usually the case so I think I have to sort of reel people in. I, I tell them what Lewis has done. I tell them the discrepancies in, um, say, pay for women footballers and men footballers, prize funds, the FA Cup prize fund, for example, 3.6 million if you're a men's team, 25K if you're a women's team. I tell them about the resources available to women's teams or the lack of. I tell them stories about our players when they played at different clubs, what they could expect from health insurance, what they could expect from training kit, what they could expect from where they are allowed to play, as in not on the same pitch as the men usually, usually on very inferior pitches. I tell them about some of the things that the girls have had to overcome when they were young in order to play football, not just physically and geographically, but also psychologically. But when I get to the history of women's football and I tell them that women were banned for 50 years in this country from playing football. Jaws literally drop. You know, you know this, Charlotte. You know the story that, that women during the First World War were making parachutes and weapons in the factories. In their leisure time, they were kicking a ball around in the yard. Eventually that became more formal and factory played factory. Before you knew it, there were leagues. And actually women's football became very popular so that by the time the men came back, there were tens of thousands of people coming to watch the women. And even a couple of years later, the men still hadn't managed to get the crowds back up for their matches. And at that point, the FA banned, you know, banned women from playing on FA pitches or playing with FA affiliated coaches. And I tell the people in the audience about that ban that happened in 1921 and wasn't lifted until 1971. And they can't believe that such sexism has existed. And then I tell them, you know, during that whole 50 years, men's football had the monopoly on resources and attention. Broadcasting rights came into play during that 50 years, and that's where all the money is. Um, and men's football ate it up. And then when the ban was lifted, there was no extra resource given to women's football. And by then, girls like me, I was born in, during the ban in 1967, Girls like me were told at school that football wasn't for you. You could play netball, which I was rubbish at. But, you know, you can't, you can't play football. And it was totally, totally, by every way that you could possibly identify it, culturally, socially, so every way that you could think of, it was a men's and a boys game. That's the damage that that FA ban did. And it takes a long time to change culture again. But that's what we're trying to do here. Um, so jaws drop then. And that's when I get people's real attention and they get angry about this. And, and then I say, there are two things you can do. And by the way, women are already angry. 
because they're already in a man's world, really, in a patriarchy. And they already know about hashtag gender pay gap. And they already know that about everyday sexism. And it's already come into the consciousness in the last few years much more. And they're aware of it, but there's nothing they can do. They haven't been able to take an action. So they've got this stored up anger. I say to them, there are two things you can do about all this, if you fancy it. <laughs> One is you can come and watch a women's match because people say that women's football is boring and that's why they don't get the crowds. We know different, but that's what people say. These people are mainly male people, but not always um, because women are conditioned in that way as well. So you can come and add to the gate figure and you'll be doing an awful lot for these women footballers. Or you can become, and or, you can become an owner of Lewis Football Club because we need the revenue. It helps us campaign. We're 100% community owned, so we use football as a vehicle for social change because we are owned by society and we are, our, our purpose is inherent in the football, which is to create value in the society and communities around us. So I tell them they can take those two actions. They, they're usually pretty keen to do it. And I tell them, I, I tell them they should come. Not only might they want to come, but they really should. You know, I, I, I get, I quite quickly get into sort of philosophically, what's the point of life? I get there quite easily and quickly. I start going, what is the point, you know, if you don't get a chance and you don't use it to change the world. So come and watch Lewis play, you'll be changing the world. Absolutely. And I think it's often very easy to slip into that. What is the point when there are tirades of online comments that will often say, but we don't care. And I think you make a massive point there about, you know, someone can easily say, look, the women's ban was lifted in 1971. You've had all this time, but there's something so embedded and ingrained about the years, you know, 50 years of perceptions of conversations and generational knowledge that's been passed down and actually you can't buy your way out of that because it has to be a narrative and it has to be having role models for the young women it has to be having the conversation with those who you know men and women who grew up in you know the kind of the the FA ban because actually they didn't have any visibility and they were actively told that women weren't medically I think you know the FA ban had medical sign off saying that women's physique not suited to the game and you know it's really trying to actively undo and I guess reshape a lot of those perceptions how would you say that a match day for Lewis women's team differs from the men's team's matches they're quite starkly different actually the funny thing is though that the crowd figures have more or less aligned now so uh, the season before last, because last season was obviously stopped because of COVID, um, but the season before last, the average for a women's game was 586 and the average for a men's game was 610. And if you compare that to previously when the men's average was about 450, 500 and the women's was 120, this is before we introduced the equality um, initiative, then you, you'll see that the massive, the massive difference it's made by putting actual marketing proper marketing, targeted marketing behind the women's team. So the difference is the, the crowds aren't so different now, but um, there are many more men at a, at a men's match. At a women's match, we tend to get, 
it's I would say it's still slightly more men than women actually but we get much more of a, a mix of genders and and more families to, to be fair and more dogs we have well-behaved dogs at, at Lewis and, and they come out they actually they actually chant so there's 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 a different atmosphere already because it's less bloke heavy and then at a women's match what we've tried to do in order to engage the new market of women that have started to come is um if you like think of things that might appeal to them so we might have a choir singing before the match um, and we've had some brilliant community choirs that have actually made up songs about the club and about the manager and things like that it's just it's just awesome uh it's such fun and we get sometimes we have a brass band a new phenomenon that's developed last season is that the men's vets team so the men's over 35s have become huge supporters of the women's first it's so amazing and a few of them have brass instruments and they've started to bring <laughs> their brass instruments along and invent new chants um going by the names of the players so there's a lot of sort of chanting going on we even have pre-match chanting um practice sometimes especially for women who may not know how to football chant because actually it's a thing like boys learn it by osmosis when they go to matches as they're growing up with their fathers but women don't always and it's really great fun so we do that before a women's match we have drummers come in lewis is famous for its uh, marching bands that march for bonfire we have a big bonfire celebration here and we have various bands that take part in that that will come to a women's match and drum up an atmosphere literally drum up an atmosphere so at, and we also have speakers that come. We had Helen Pankhurst come down before Manchester United, for example, and talk about women's rights, deeds, not words. She had a book out called Deeds, Not Words, which is a really good book. And Lewis is all about deeds, not words. That was fun. And I don't know, we, we think of ways that we can advertise the match that include people that, who may not think football is for them. So we can maybe get them in another way and then they'll get turned on to football when they watch the match so that's our little ploy and it seems to be working quite well at the men's matches I, i've never heard any chanting go on with the women's matches that sort of happened quite organically i mean we weren't chanting at first but aston villa brought their villains down their ultras and they were kind of chanting and banging they brought drums we can't have this at our home ground what's going on we've got to have some chance so we literally started to do chanting work we did a chanting workshop in my kitchen one saturday and um then started to shout <laughs> and that, that was it really but then the men's vets have really taken it to a new level it's brilliant um the men's matches yeah it's a bit more of a solid affair it's it's a different experience what can i say you know who knows things might change <laughs> Would you say you've seen a change in the morale of your women's team since you've kind of, you know, really advertised and marketed Lewis as a club that pays equally? Do you see the difference in mood? Do you see, um, you know, have you heard sort of anecdotally how players feel about it? Yeah, I mean, not just anecdotally, but I I, I like to, to take players with me if I if I'm invited to do a talk or do something you know some strange things I've done that aren't just talks but you know gone gone and done something somewhere like an assembly or uh, a, a podcast somewhere or on the tv somewhere I like to have a player with me um, and so what I have tended to do is try and grab a few players at the beginning of a season and have a cup of coffee with them 
and just ask them a bit about their footballing journey and just find out, tell them about Equality FC and find out what obstacles they've had to overcome. And it's a really interesting conversation because they've all had to overcome obstacles, but they've accepted them to a very large degree as normal. And why wouldn't they? It is normal. But I, having not been in football before, I really don't see it as as normal. And um, when they tell me they play for a team in Germany and this club had all these boots turn up because this company was sponsoring the men's team and they knew they wouldn't get the boots, it was just for the men. But when they asked if they could buy them, they weren't allowed to buy them. Or when I hear they played for a club where they didn't get enough socks, uh, whereas the men's men's team got loads of socks, so they had to put a wash on at 11 p.m. at night so the socks were ready for the next day and do a nine-to-five, whereas the men were fully employed by the club and didn't have a nine-to-five to to do and had five lots of training kit. When I hear how long it's taken for an ACL injury to get better because they weren't insured, whereas the men in the same club's team had the same injury and got better in half the time um, because they had access to much better treatment, or when I hear that funding was taken away from the women's team because, you know, the club needed the money, And that was the first way they could save. I point out to the players how terrible this is. And I think what happens at at Lewis FC is that we accidentally radicalise some of our players. So they start to realise how shit, right, they've been treated. Because the thing about these women is they're amazing athletes, right? They are elite footballers. To me, they are like goddesses. I think they are awesome. And they tell me these things and they've just accepted them all um, because it's normal. And I don't think it's normal. So I can't help in my conversation with them saying it. And they've got too much gratitude, to be honest. I mean, under normal circumstances, don't get me wrong, an attitude of gratitude is a good thing. But when you're a female footballer, I, I, yeah, I don't think you should be so grateful because really you're being treated as an afterthought all the time. And it is degrading and it's demoralizing and it's depressing. And so when I sort of point out some of the things they say to me and point out what we're doing at Lewis and they become angrier. I mean, we get a lot of attention for a small club because, you know, of of being the only club in the world to value and resource our women's and men's teams the same although now there's a club in Lesotho in Africa that does so so because we get all this attention there's a lot of opportunities for them to speak to the media um so it's really good to have these stories and good to have the experience of you know because you know they're going to need other jobs and they do have other jobs so it's really great to have the experience so we get the stories out get them happy to talk about them and um We've got a great community vibe there and they appreciate it. They really like the support. They love the crowds and they do feel valued. I was talking to our goalkeeper, Tatiana Saunders, yesterday. There's a really good gelling in the team and they appreciate the way things are at Lewis at the moment. So this is good to hear. It's interesting you say as well about that real overwhelming sense of anger that one, people get when they realise, you know, that women's football was banned. Two, when they realise that they have been, you know, training the hardest, harder than a lot of, you know, male equivalent athletes do for a lot less. And actually, it's quite an emotional experience because I think it makes you reflect on a lot of the achievements that you've had in life. And you think, 
I haven't been fairly compensated and it's very easy to get frustrated and think I need to you know kind of make up for all of my past injustices and it's quite a lot to deal with it's even more interesting that obviously Lewis are as you say one of the only clubs in the world who do assign equal budgets to their male and female teams why do you think other clubs haven't followed suit because clearly you've had a lot of media attention it's the right thing to do but there isn't a queue of clubs saying we're doing the same I I honestly think it's about the fact that they don't think about it they don't even see it as an issue I'm sad to say this I know you play in a women's team and I know you referee and and I think women's football is a small world and it's still a small world and um, sometimes we think that it's more obvious than than it is to to an awful lot of people to most people and I think the reason that most clubs haven't seen what we're doing and thought yeah I'll do that is because for them it's not a priority when you think about how much it takes to run a football club which I now know about how many things there are that, that go on and how many things you have to take care of I think on the list of priorities paying your women's team more and putting marketing behind them and upping the budget and for them and everything is not on your list basically because you're operating in a patriarchy and football is the epitome of a patriarchy it has men all over it doesn't have any women and also Lewis is a small club our women play in the championship so we are playing like this season we'll be playing Liverpool and we're playing Charlton Crystal Palace and and big teams um but our men play in the Isthmian League which is the seventh step down and um you know we're not we're not a big name like Manchester United or Liverpool or Aston Villa we're not we're not a big name. So sometimes I think we're guilty of thinking we're more famous than we are, just because we do get a lot of media stuff. But a lot of people haven't heard of us and a lot of people don't know what we're doing. And, you know, we've definitely made it work. You know, anyone that wants to buy into gender equality can, can come and get behind us and support us. And we're very grateful and it works both ways. Um, but, you know, it, we're not big enough yet. I, I'd like us. I'd like us to become you know, I'd like our women in the Super League and our men to move up the league so that our platform was massive and that we would prove concept on a big stage. And so no one could deny that treating your two first teams equally was the right thing economically to do. And I think then other clubs, you know, would probably wake up and smell the coffee. But right now, the answer to your question, like why haven't other clubs done it? I think is because they aren't thinking about it. Yeah, and you feel like if it's an awkward conversation for a group of men to discuss in a pub, at what point is it then going to come up to board level at, you know, a multi-million, even billion pound club for someone to say, I know, let's invest in women. Like you, I think I am, you know, 100% in the same camp as you in that, I'm extremely passionate about it. I will do most things, um, you know, just to see that progression. But actually, I have to be realistic about what other people do. And a lot of people don't want to make their lives any more difficult than they need to be. And they don't want to be the only man in a room full of men who probably aren't massively supportive and think it's fine to, you know, get the tick box of, you know, we've got we've got a women's club. That's a good start. Um And it's important for us to understand that, but it's also important for us to encourage women to be 
in positions such as yourself in that room having that conversation and giving you know the female experience of football because at the moment and we have done for many years we're using the male default we are catering to the needs of a man's game which was taken from women um and you know really kind of just sheltering out women from that conversation how do you think we can encourage more women to put themselves forward and say actually I want to be a manager I want to be a coach I want to be on the board of directors what do you think we can reasonably do to speed up that process Okay, so actually, interestingly, I've just been reading this book by um, Jill Whitty Collins, who was VP at Procter & Gamble for 26 years, and it's called Why Men Win at Work. Her basic premise is that even the good men who are not misogynists, not sexist, not abusers, they would never hurt a woman, let alone, you know, anyone, and um, believe themselves not to be be feminist, yeah, let's say even, let's go that far, (laughs) Uh, even those great men can't help but reproduce what they already know. It's just what we all do, right? That's, That's why we need diversity and that's why we need inclusion. But it's much easier to go with what you already know. And why on earth would you have a woman that doesn't know about football on, on a football board? Yeah, that's, that is unusual, but it's happened, but it's unusual. So there's two things there. One is women's football itself has the potential to reverse the gender stereotypes that make women think that they can't do things like be on boards, especially football boards. And one of those stereotypes is that Women feel they have to be perfect. They have to really know their game before they'll put themselves forward because they're scared of failure and they're scared of rejection. Men think they can just wing it. They don't have to know everything. They'll just do it and make it look like they've done really well. But a woman doesn't normally do that. These are are the stereotypes I'm talking about. So I've got to talk in stereotypes though because that's what we're actually trying to change. So I think, ironically, the more women's football we see now, In football, as in many team games, what you do is you learn to fail. Now, this is something most women don't come up against because most women don't play football or don't play team sports even. Um, And and in fact, there's there's a statistic that most women on boards have played team sports and they've learned things like this. They've learned to fail, they've learned to be rejected and they've learned it's not the end of the world and that you get up, you try again and you keep trying and one day you'll succeed. Um, And that's what all men seem to know. So one way to get more women on boards is to get more women into team sports, including football's most popular one in the world. So let's go with that since we're into that. Um, So get more women playing football. The other thing is that men need to be much more aware of what it means to be a man and how they can support women. Because at the end of the day, it's been proven time and time again that gender diversity in a team or on a board makes that board function much better in the marketplace and that team function much better economically, never mind morally. I'm talking economically in a business sense, right? This isn't, we're not asking to put women on the board because, you know, women need a favour or let's let's be nice to everybody. We're saying it because you're going to find more innovation when you have a more diverse team and you're going to find new ways around things and you're going to, you, it, it's going to be so much better. So men need to have this team spirit and realise that if they just keep 
attracting men looking in the same pools of markets for the same people waiting for people to come to them and not intending to be more gender diverse from the start then they're not going to get women on the boards and they need women on the boards and once a woman is on the board they need to keep the woman on the board or keep the woman in the job or keep the woman on the team so they're going to need to find out what it is and it's not hard actually how you deal with women differently than men and you know what it is that they can do to support the women it's called he for she and the un women uk gave us an award at lewis football club a he for she award uh, last year for being inspirational in the field of gender equality just dropping that in there yeah so there, there's two things one we need to break down these stereotypes and have women you know not worry so much about being perfect and, and realize that everybody's winging it and then we need men to be more supportive because the power in this world we live in lies with men and they need to up their game and that will help everybody in the long run. You know, you mentioned something that I thought was very interesting, which was about, you know, board members perhaps having, you know, where they are women, having a shared trait in that they'd had some form of experience or background in team sports. And it's interesting when you think of young women, now a lot of young women, you know, sort of coming out of schools, universities, probably feel like they haven't necessarily got somewhere to go in terms of team sports because a lot of the narrative is around okay if you haven't made it by the time you're 12 13 and into those feeder academies almost forget it and I actually think that the kind of gym and exercise industry has done very well at capturing that market share but the problem with that is that they're very individualistic you know you have people sort of doing um, you know probably actually playing into a lot of the narratives of here's the perfect physique here's how to achieve it, go to the gym, work on yourself individually. And actually, they're then losing out at the opportunity of being just as fit, being just as happy within their own skin, but having a community, and most importantly, a community of women that they can learn life skills from. You know, I think one of the biggest things that I learned from being as part, you know, part of a team, particularly a football team, is assertiveness, learn how to organize, how to set teams, how to, I guess, liaise with other teams. And I wonder how we can, I guess, market to young women who perhaps have a very individual um, sort of exercise routine and tell them that actually it's not too late to be a part of a team. It doesn't have to be football. It could be basketball, it could be rugby. Um, There's plenty of opportunity out there. And I mean, you mentioned earlier that you have really invested in your marketing now, is there a strategy that you have that sort of targets in on, you know, sort of younger women and, you know, how have you worked with them in the community to kind of encourage that? I love what you've just said. I think it's so important to encourage young women into teams. I, I really think that the camaraderie um, and the connection is so important. It's a, it's a lifeline for, for a lot of people. And um, also, of course, you get to exercise at the same time, which is also important in terms of our marketing. We haven't particularly targeted young women. We have a pathway. Okay, so I say we haven't particularly targeted young women, but we kind of have in that some of our sisterships are young women and the sisterships are a group, are groups who empower women and girls in some way who have a special relationship with Lewis Football Club. So we've got 14 of them. The Girls Network, for example, who have mentors, professional women, 
who will mentor young girls at school um, who come from disadvantaged backgrounds. And it's amazing what the Girls Network have done, really like it. And I've been to talk at an event of theirs, I've been to uh, meetings with them, and we reach sort of girls, I suppose, that way, which is brilliant. And it's obviously, it's a nice place to bring your mentee, a women's football match, it's the ideal kind of setting. And Sister Society, a little feminist group in Brighton, are really young, definitely young women, and a lot of them, I remember speaking to them, and I don't think anyone had been to a football match, never mind a women's football match. Um, and they were, you know, I would say they were in their 20s. And, and I had wonderful Amy Taylor, who used to play for us with me, and she described what she felt like when she played. She came in her full kit, you know, what she felt like when she played football. Because uh, they asked some brilliant questions, and um, they were fascinated. And I think they were very engaged. But we haven't done a particular campaign trying to target young women. What we've done with our campaigning really is focus on inspirational women outside of football, usually, and put them either, like last season, we put them in footballing positions on our posters. The season before, we just had them as inspirational women. And we're trying to, I suppose, position our women footballers as um inspirational warriors really you know leading leading the leading the cause and um also position football as part of a wider culture we, we believe that you know a football club is a community asset it's for everybody to enjoy so if half the population is not enjoying it for whatever reason then there's something wrong there so in order to sort of appeal to women we'd have inspirational women on the poster and they'd often be from the field of like maybe science or music or teaching education or um film what whatever some other area that would draw and they'd be like oh that's interesting oh it's a football match right okay what's that got to do with well actually it's got a lot to do with that you know it's a we're we are um we're changing things down at the dripping pan <laughs> so we've in that sense i suppose we've um We've appealed to young women, but we haven't deliberately targeted them. I would actually very much like to, um, but you know, yeah. So far, there's it, a long list of things to do, and that hasn't, you know, that's not at the top yet. But would love to do that. And it's interesting that you say that, you know, you kind of have this depiction of trailblazers, right? You know, from all over history, and I think we look at them and we think, wow, you know, they did an incredible thing. They they discovered this, they discovered that, or you know they push for change in this way and it can seem so far from what is tangible for a lot of people but actually you then say look you can be that person just as easily by you know turning up and by turning up alone because you are a visual representation of someone who's supporting a cause that needs to be supported and you know it's not just one cause it's a you know a real intertwining web of many causes and I think when that kind of ticks in someone's head and they say, oh yeah. And that is the impact that you get from seeing you know, these really strong women from throughout history. And I guess the fundamental character traits and beliefs and you know, real bravery that they had to be able to actually ruffle some feathers and say, I'm not standing for this anymore. Because I think, particularly in football, the, the sheer inequalities that have arisen have just coasted over time. And no one's turned around and said, hey, <laughs> the disparity between your wages is like millions of pounds worth. Um, 
And what are you going to do about it? Because it's very easy for them to just continue to coast. And you have to be, you know, whether you're a visual, you know, whether you're a female fan turning up, whether you're a female player, whether you are someone who just asks the question or says, actually, um, I wasn't talking about the men's team. I was talking about the women's team. It's the small acts that a lot of those historical figures did that you can replicate in the real world and actually you know kind of have the same impact as well you're absolutely right and, and as you're speaking I'm thinking one thing that really really inspires me about Lewis Football Club and I feel really it's a privilege to be a director at Lewis Football Club it really is and represent the people that own it one thing that really inspires me is that there is a belief that we are trying to change the way things are because we believe that things are wrong and that things are unfair and that we believe that we can have an impact and that's such that's such a buzz charlotte that is such a buzz right that we think that we have the opportunity here to actually do things differently and change the course of history because there are things that have been buried for too long that need to be unearthed and there are things that go against treating people as human beings really uh, what can i say and it's it's wrong and it it sends out the wrong message to people and it's not only that in little lewis we have a chance to change the world it's also that with football we have a chance to change society because you know the way things are played out on the football pitch has massive repercussions off of the football pitch like you know of what what people see there's there's a wonderful quote by Jane English that I'm probably not going to find oh yeah and she says she's an academic she says if women do not attain roughly equal fame and fortune in sports it leads both men and women to think of women as naturally inferior this is very important because what sports and football is the kind of you know the, the top of sports says to people is that heroes are men the people that we hear on the radio talking about sport they're men um, and sport is about being the best pushing yourself to your limits and that's what men do you know and this isn't true and it's also not true that people like watching men play sports more than they like watching women play sports it's a myth that's been propagated through um money basically uh, and and the ban the bans that went on all around the world i know that through my own actual lived experience i prefer watching women's football so you know how I can't, i'm not going to lie i'm not going to say yeah you're right men's football is more interesting it isn't to me and there are more like me I think it's exactly that, you know, it's, it's understanding the narrative that you're working in and it's having the ability to take a step back from what we're used to seeing, from what we're comfortable with seeing and questioning it and thinking, okay, why have we ended up here and how has it come about? And I think, you know, there's that real kind of go-to comment that's like, oh, you know, women are less technical, you know, someone will so everyone seems to have these, um, you know, either the facts saved in their heads about, oh, this one time in 2015, an under-15 team beat the US national team. And you're just like, when do you have the time? And why have you, yeah, why have you chosen that? And actually, what has motivated you to need to be equipped with a fact like that? Like, what, what will we take away from you by empowering women? And it comes right back down to the fundamental narratives that society has you know, propagated over and over because of the actions that have been taken, such as the women's football ban, um, you know, such as the general patriarchy in society. And 
it's so important that we unwind that and really reshape what football can do for women. And I think there's an, also a big belief that women's football should replicate the men's game, but we, we aren't men. The, the game should work for us differently. And I think, you know, Chelsea did a really good job and it's not even, it shouldn't be a good job, but they listened to their players' menstrual cycles and said, well, actually, we're going to base your training around that because they appreciate that hormonal changes in women, one, exist, two, every woman experiences it, and actually, it's going to impact you on game day, it's going to impact your training schedule, and we should listen to that. For too long, there has been the male default, so whether it's football team kits being designed for the male physique, whether it's football boots, which should be one of the most fundamental parts of your match day attire. Well, it's not very helpful if it's designed for a man's foot. And it can be in a, you know, sort of a more feminine design as you like, but fundamentally it, it, it suits men. And I think it's having the appreciation and, you know, brands are really, I feel tapping into it now, probably too late, but we're happy with any start um, at this point And we encourage it, obviously, that actually one, there's a lot of money to be made from women's football. If you pay attention to what women want from football, not just making it a mirror image of what you think worked for the men's game, because, you know, as you said before, women experience things differently and our experience of football is going to be different, you know, quite naturally. And, you know, it's, it's always frustrating that we've been left so far behind in history, but actually if we have the opportunity to take center stage, we should do so in a way that suits the people on the pitch and the people coming to watch it. Definitely, most definitely. I, I went to this amazing talk by Caroline Criado Perez who wrote The Gender Data Gap that, that you probably know about. And, um, you know, she was saying how, oh my goodness, you know, it, it really is a man's world and that the, even medicines that we have have been tested on male animals because, a female rats periods get in the way of the, the testing in the lab so they don't use them so therefore you don't know what this is going to do to a female person that gets periods. anyway it got quite depressing and at the end someone said you know so what's what is the answer like what can we do to to make the world better so that it's more equal for everybody and that there's equal respect value opportunity all the rest of it the, the stuff and she said well she said, the only thing we can do is make the feminine more aspirational because at the moment it's the masculine that's aspirational. At the end of the day, that's what people are aiming for. The masculine comes out the top. Um, so if we can find ways of making the feminine aspirational, then we will change culture. And I do think that if we can put across to people the entertainment value of a women's match, what you get from it, how you feel, as a fan, I'm, I'm, I'm meaning at the moment, and the kind of connect connection that you feel the role modeling that you get the empowerment that, that you get from it you know I know it's a it's a it's sort of rubbish word but that is honestly the only word I can use I feel empowered after a women's match just by you know osmosis is like in the crowd if we can put that across to people and get more and more people to try the experience then we will have made the feminine aspirational because women's football is uh, feminine not maybe in your gender stereotype ways, but it really is feminine. Women kick balls and they do it in, in a woman's way. And it's amazing when we see women win as well. I just don't think you can ever replicate the feeling of either being a player or a fan when you see, you know, the kind of full-time whistle goes and the relief, the, the joy, the delight, the sisterhood as well, really, that you come together and you can have a team of players from all over the world 
United fight a shared love for something as powerful as football, but also a team that have really gelled together and pushed through to, you know, get a, get a good result. And even when you lose, you still have those constructive conversations, which once again will only make you grow because you have to come together as a team to be able to think, okay, what are we going to do to make it different? You know, how are we going to turn this around? And those are life skills that are really, really priceless. I tell you what, women playing football get to experience the triumph of the human spirit. Who would deny 51% of the world's population that triumph? You know, who would do that? It's, it's, just, it's just incredible that the way that women are actually excluded. Um, and yeah, definitely, I, I'm, I want to change that. And certainly we are doing so at Lewis Football Club as far as we can. But Karen, it's been a fantastic session of discussing all things community, all things, you know, really, it's been a really empowering conversation about the things that are positive about you know, the progress that Lewis is really a trailblazer for, um, as well as, you know, yourself as a visible role model for women who might think that actually football's not a place for them because you didn't like football growing up. And here you are really leading the charge in making football more equal and not just in pay, but through representation, through visibility. Um, I think all teams could do with a Karen. If we could replicate you, I'm sure we'd quite like to and sort of you know, place, place you around the country. But, you know, from everyone at No Place Like Home, it's just fantastic to have a role model and, you know, to, to have you feature as well in our podcast. It's, it's really an honour. So a massive thank you. Absolute pleasure. Thank you, Charlotte. Thanks very much. For more of our content, both online and in print, visit mplhmag.com. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. Don't forget to hit the follow button and I'll see you next time.